Hello and welcome to episode three of Coping with Creativity, a podcast for creators about coping with that unrelenting need to create, our mental health, self-imposed pressures, actually succeeding, and everything in between. My name is Jesse Lawson, and in this episode, we are going to focus on dealing with criticism. I want to focus on criticism because being a creator oftentimes means learning how to cope with self-doubt. And for someone who hasn't developed a thick skin for it, criticism is going to exacerbate those feelings, like gasoline on a fire. Criticism is something that everyone does, even if they might not mean to, and something everyone experiences, even if they might not want to. When talking about creators, I think it's safe to say that we are especially sensitive to criticism. I know for me, one of my most vulnerable states in life is waiting for someone, most often my wife, to finish reading something that I wrote. Even though I should remind myself that, from experience, she's likely to enjoy it, there's still that looming shadow, that question in the back of my mind that keeps saying, what am I doing? Is is she going to hate this? Is she going to think I'm an awful writer now? Am I going to think I'm an awful writer now? Why are you doing this, Jesse? You're not a good writer. Stop it. And so on and so on and so on. I'm sure, I'm sure you're familiar with it. I guess you could say that even uh, with the people closest to us, including ourselves, we can still feel this impulse towards self-doubt. And why do you think that is? Well, I think it's because most people never learn how to offer constructive feedback, and I include us in that as well. Generally speaking, people talk about what they like and don't like. That's largely to be expected, especially if you're creating entertainment, which by its nature is designed to entertain, and if it doesn't, people will react negatively to it. And this can hurt sometimes, because no one wants to hear that the thing that we've spent so much time and energy on is garbage, and that's a lot of pressure we're putting on whoever close to us we've shared our work with, unless they themselves are creators. But it's not just creators who are sensitive to negative criticism, everyone is. That's because there is a human component to all of this. We are biologically designed to react to negative situations with anxiety. Before we explore that, though, let's take a step back about what's going on behind the scenes when someone offers criticism. I think it's safe to say that feedback from one person will be highly individual. That includes the feedback I give at the end of each episode, and I try to emphasize this fact with the format, which is me asking questions about someone's work rather than making statements. Sometimes feedback will have a societal implication, but unless that person is an academic, 99% of feedback is going to be grounded in the individual tastes of that one person. Now back in episode 2, I talked about how the value of your creations can only be determined by other people. You can't provide a valuation of a social artifact that you created. An important addition to this is that the valuation that others do provide is, again, an individual one. And since these valuations are highly individual, it would be appropriate to assume that the general reception of your work will be evenly distributed at the very least. But you know as well as I do that this isn't always the case in the beginning when we're starting out. Some people get lucky and run into the half of the world who loves their work before they get bombarded with the people who don't, but that's that's definitely not me. I have always had a slew of negativity in the beginnings of my projects, including this podcast. It's to the point now where I sort of expect it, you know? I'm so used to just rude comments and downvotes and baseless criticism that when it doesn't happen, I get suspicious. It's almost like if I don't encounter a bunch of roadblocks and people who are overly critical of my work, I think I'm doing something wrong. 
Now, one could argue that this has helped me along the way. I have an easy signpost to follow when I'm unsure about myself or my work, even if those signposts are, ironically, people telling me or implying that my work is garbage. The important thing to remember here is that everyone's experience will be different. So a good way to look at it, at least for me, is that all of the years and years of people not liking my work for whatever reason has given me years and years of learning how to let the really bad comments roll off me and how to pick apart the other ones so that I at least learn something. And remember that some criticism won't teach you anything about you or your work, but it will teach you about the person doing the criticizing. Another way to look at this is through the lens of video game design. In a video game, how do you know you're going in the right direction? Well, you encounter obstacles, and more importantly, you interact with people who don't want you to continue. In games, we call them enemies, but in the reality of your world as a creator, the people who want to see you fail are not so concerned with what or that you're creating. They're concerned with the fact that they just encountered someone who is one level ahead of them in the arcade of life. You are the creator. You are creating something from nothing. And, well, they resent you for doing that. Do you know how I know this? Because no one who is a creator themselves would negatively criticize another creator's work unless they're projecting their own insecurities. I'm sure you've seen that before. I know I have. But this is something both creators and non-creators will do. And unfortunately, you're going to encounter this a lot. Maybe you're encountering it right now, today. If you are, or when you do, because you will, it can be frustrating how much criticism affects us. But while not being affected by criticism is impossible, we can learn to stop being so affected by it. And we can do this by encountering it head on. Get your work finished. Get it out there. Get it in front of people. Get those negative experiences out of the way so you can make room for the positive ones. With that in mind, let's go back to the human component of criticism for a bit. Thanks to the way that we've evolved, our minds have an increased capacity to recognize and be aware of harmful things due to a phenomenon called the negativity bias. We are hardwired to place greater emphasis on situations and conditions that resulted in negative feelings than ones that produced positive ones. This is because our minds are hardwired for survival and avoiding negative situations and conditions was essential to survival for our ancestors. Of course we respond with anxiety and fear when someone is negative or mean or rude. Our brains are hardwired to put a big red stamp on that experience so that we can more quickly classify future experiences as threatening or non-threatening. It's just a tool. And since this visceral reaction is just a tool, we might start thinking about it as something we can learn to control and even use in our favor. How can we do that? Well, the first step is to determine where the criticism is coming from. Is this a fellow creator? Or is this just some random person on the internet? Who is offering the criticism should greatly impact how much you care about it. If it's just a random person online... They might be one of the many people in this life who define their worth by their judgment and review of things that other people like you and me and other creators have the courage to build and share. Determining where the criticism is coming from will help you with the next step, which is to determine what the criticism is for. Is someone criticizing something you made? 
or are they criticizing you directly? If your first response is to feel hurt by what they said, it may be that that's because they themselves are hurting inside and they're projecting their insecurities about themselves, their own work, and their lives onto you and your work. If someone is criticizing you personally because of a creation that you shared with them, the only response they deserve is this. I'm sorry you don't like yourself. It will take practice, but over time, this will become second nature to you. Once you can determine whether or not someone thrives on negativity in this life, and again, I think this is most people, you can save a lot of time and energy by just not engaging with them. The final step in learning how to control our reactions to criticism is to constantly remind ourselves that there is more to you than your creations. You are an incredibly complex human being, and your work is only a small glimpse into a very thin sliver of who you are. In past episodes, I said our work is our way of expressing ourselves, but that doesn't mean our creations can express all of ourselves. No, our creations are just little envelopes of self-expression, of pieces of us that we have chosen to share with the world. And so now you can see just how sad those people are, that the thing that they choose to share about themselves with the world is their sad and lonely and self-loathing perception of themselves. Even if you're struggling with the same emotions, I mean, I know I struggle with low self-esteem, take a step back. And look at how much more courage and strength you have just by choosing to express yourself through your creations instead of negative comments about other people and their creations. Be proud of yourself for transcending that simple worldview that something is bad just because you don't like it. Ideally, you'll follow these steps and find someone who's been in your shoes that offers constructive criticism on something you made. That's what I would like to see happen, but I can tell you, having been creating different things for many years, usually what I get is negative criticism, and sometimes it's targeted directly at me as a person. And to be honest, sometimes people call out my work for having something that really is bad, so you can expect helpful criticism in bad comments. Some of the reviews on my first fiction novel, Burrow, pointed out that there were some typos and grammatical mistakes in just the first few pages. Imagine how I felt here with a master's in English and as someone who's trying to be proud of my skill as a writer, learning that I published a book with a bunch of typos. It's, it's embarrassing. But mistakes like that, even if they're shown to me through negative criticism, only give me opportunities to improve. I love when people tell me how I'm doing something wrong, as long as I can ask them questions about what they think doing it right looks like. Obviously, for typos and grammar mistakes in my novel, those are just things that I had to go back, fix, find, and then republish. It's a Kindle book, thankfully, and I have the only print copy. And yes, that hard copy is full of typos. And you know what? I make sure to keep it in a prominent spot on my desk at home to remind me that it's okay to be proud of something that is or was flawed to you. It's okay. In my case, the negative comments were basically a roadmap for me to follow, a checklist of what I needed to do to get my creation from good to great. It is my hope that when you encounter criticism, you'll keep these things in mind so that the energy you spend on it is productive and healthy. Keep creating. Keep going forward. You can cross the river even if the current feels overly strong, even if you have to spend a little time learning how to build a bridge first.
So to recap, keep in mind that negative criticism is to be expected. It means you're going the right direction. Also, is the person criticizing you or your work? If it's you, brush them off. They're trying to make you feel like they feel, which is insecure. If it's your work, ask questions and see if you can find something, anything, to put in your toolbox for next time. And finally, remind yourself that you are strong and courageous for sharing pieces of yourself with the world through your creations. Not everybody has the means or ability to share themselves with the world. And the fact that you're doing it speaks greatly to your character. Remember that. All right, it's now time for our next segment, Immediate Questions, where I read a script that you've submitted and give you all of the immediate questions I have as a means of giving you a little bit of insight into what one audience member, me, may be thinking. Today's three pages is from a script called Danger Close by Craig McInnes. On an interstate middle of nowhere night, a tractor trailer cruises in the black, fast but not fast enough to gain any unwanted attention. In a missile silo control room, blood, lots of it. Three dead soldiers on their backs, throats slit, eyes open and glassy like freshly caught fish. In a truck trailer, a team of mercs all in their 30s, buzz cuts, their jawlines and complexions hint of Eastern European origin, steely, silent, disconnected gazes. They sit around their prize, a W87 nuclear warhead. Interior Donnelly's house in the living room in the afternoon. We open on Frank Donnelly in his 50s. Short, stocky, narrow, sharp eyes. What's left of his hair, crew cut. His sun-kissed skin hints at vigor. But he ran out of that a long time ago. Donnelly perches on a couch by a mountain of matching luggage. He glances at his watch, doesn't like what he sees. Footsteps, finally. Donnelly shuts off the TV. Claire jogs down the stairs. One more suitcase in her hand. Claire, 20s, has the girl next door look down pat. She drops the last suitcase in the stack. Donnelly grins. Donnelly, are you sure you have enough? In the cab at roadside, Donnelly heaves cases in, surprised at how heavy they are. Donnelly, what do you have in here, rocks? Claire chuckles, loads a smaller one, gives him a look. Claire, where are your bags, smartass? Donnelly nods, in the trunk. Claire peers inside, one small, well-used black suitcase. They climb into the cab. Interior economy class, night. Mild turbulence has Donnelly up. The lights are low, it's quiet. To his right, Claire, out cold. A seat over is the only other person awake on this ride. A white man, we'll call him Suit, 40s, gaunt, unassuming, dressed for business class. He reads the Financial Times. Donnelly leans over, hand out. Donnelly, name's Frank. Suit turns to Donnelly, eyes wide, gaze fixed. Suit, I know who you are. Donnelly furrows his brow, what a weird thing to say. Suit twists his lips into a snarl of a grin. In an instant, Suit roars, his mouth unnaturally wide. Suit, time to take your pills, Frank. Donnelly flinches as Suit bursts into flames, voice demonic. His flesh peels off, turns to ash. Suit, don't forget, they're in your left coat pocket, traitor. Suit chuckles as the flame creeps closer to Donnelly. He's trapped by his seatbelt. He tries to latch. Nope, he screams as the flame engulfs his arm. Interior Airbus economy class, Donnelly jumps awake with a gasp takes in his surroundings. The same layout, same low light. Claire out cold next to him. Donnelly takes a breath. And one seat over is Suit. No longer a flame, Suit gives Donnelly an earnest smile and carries on reading his paper. A pretty stewardess walks by. Donnelly, excuse me, ma'am? Stewardess, yeah? Donnelly, 
Can I get a glass of water, please? Stewardess, absolutely. Donnelly, thank you. She leaves as Donnelly rummages in his left coat pocket. What do you know? His pill bottle. He can't hide it. He's creeped out. Donnelly glances over at the suit one more time. He's just a normal man. Donnelly huffs. It was a dream. But he unlocked his seatbelt just in case. On the runway later, the Airbus screams overhead. Back in the Airbus, it's loud. Donnelly rubs his temple, the noise getting to him. The rumbling wakes Claire. Startled, she lifts up a sleep mask, wipes drool off her mouth. Claire, are we there already? Claire has bedhead. Donnelly cracks up. Claire, what? Now at Miami Airport, Donnelly and Claire wade through the sea of arrivals. Donnelly is out of it. Claire can see he's not well. Claire, you feeling okay? Donnelly smiles. Donnelly, I'm fine, honey. Bit of a headache, but I'm fine. Claire cocks a suspicious eyebrow with worry behind it. Okay, now here are my immediate questions. One, what demon is Donnelly dealing with that causes the nightmare he had? Is this a Chekhovian hint at some horrific psychological episode to come? When the apparition of the guy in the suit yells at him to take his pills, is this some hint at a deeper trouble that Donnelly has that we'll learn about through his future mistakes? Two, the guy in the suit from his dream calls him a traitor. What does Donnelly know that we don't? Are we going to find out? Is he having this dream because he's overcome with regret? If that's the case, what does he regret? Three, does the fire that the guy in the suit bursts into represent something? Am I supposed to see a contrast here against the intact warhead from the opening scene and this guy bursting into flames yelling traitor in Donnelly's dream? Four, is Claire subbing in for the audience during all this? We can tell Donnelly is struggling with some inner demons. Are these self-imposed demons and is Claire here to help us keep an eye on them? And five, is there something significant about Miami? Is this a vacation that they're going on, and is it going to be interrupted by something that Donnelly did before the first page? Is this trip to Miami a metaphor for Donnelly's need to escape something that he did? And is his dream on the plane a manifestation of some of his guilt? What did he do? And who is in danger now because of it? So those are my immediate questions. Thanks again to Craig McInnes for submitting that script. And that wraps up this episode. I appreciate you taking the time to listen, and I hope you found it useful. The full transcript of this episode is available at copingwithcreativity.com, along with links to my Patreon page where you can support this podcast and all of my work. Thanks for listening, and goodbye.